Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year Automotive News digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Monday, August 21st, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News here in Detroit. And I'm Kevin Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, GM plans to cut about 200 engineering jobs. But what happens to the employees impacted? A Tesla data breach is blamed on insider wrongdoing. And an automaker strikes a deal for naming rights. We'll tell you the college football field that will now have the Hyundai name. Plus, we'll take a look at how San Francisco is bracing for more robo-taxis on the street and more of the latest tech and innovation news. People in San Francisco are just so tired of feeling like basically guinea pigs for the tech industry. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. General Motors plans to eliminate about 200 engineering positions. Employees affected will be able to move to other jobs. A company spokesperson said the automaker is taking steps to rebalance its engineering resources to better align with its growth strategy. This will require some engineers to move to other parts of the organization. The company has said it's launching a strategy called Winning with Simplicity that is expected to lower design and engineering costs in part by reducing the number of trim levels by about 50%. Tesla's May data breach was a result of insider wrongdoing. That's according to a notice posted by the Office of the Maine Attorney General Friday. The notice said the data breach impacted more than 75,000 people and included employee-related records. A letter by Tesla to those impacted said an investigation revealed two former Tesla employees misappropriated information in violation of Tesla's IT security and data protection policies and shared it with a foreign media outlet. The letter went on to say that Tesla filed lawsuits against the two former employees. Ford's handling of a recall last year of Mustang Mach-E's is being investigated by auto safety regulators amid new reports of power loss. NHTSA received 12 complaints alleging a high-voltage battery main contactor failure in 2021 and 22 Mach-E crossovers. They were included in the recall and had been fixed before the incidents. NHTSA said it opened the investigation to look into Ford's recall remedy. Nearly 65,000 Mustang Mach-E's could be affected, though there haven't been any reports of injuries, fires, or accidents. And the Hyundai name is going on Georgia Tech's football field for the next 20 years. The South Korean automaker made a $55 million deal to obtain the naming rights. The Yellow Jackets will now play in Bobby Dodd Stadium at Hyundai Field. Hyundai is building a $5.5 billion EV and battery plant near Savannah, Georgia. It's located about 250 miles from Georgia Tech Stadium. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, GM plans to eliminate 200 engineering positions. What are your thoughts on the timing of this with UAW negotiations? I mean, yeah, employees affected will move to other jobs or can move to other jobs, but will all of them? What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see some attrition or maybe they're going to move these folks into jobs where other people have left. Almost certainly it's an effort to try to shrink the workforce a little bit. You know, this is not a dramatic move. We've seen in past negotiation years, you know, 
thousands of jobs cut um, all at once and cut like just sent out the door. So this is not that kind of a sharing of pain type of a, of a statement, but it is showing a continued, you know, really steady effort to try to reduce costs, streamline the work, and uh, that everybody is going to be affected. Interesting. Coming up, a look at the latest tech and innovation stories in the auto industry. That's next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. My team and I went to each car company separately. We sat down and we said, you know, what can you do? What you cannot do? How much time you need? How much going to cost you? And that pay off big time. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is is GM believes in an all electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they come around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero, available wherever you get your podcasts starting September 11th. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. The automotive landscape is changing rapidly with the advent of both electric vehicles and autonomous technology. The state of EV charging infrastructure is a big concern for the industry, and there's news related to that in the past week. San Francisco has become a test case of sorts for robo-taxis, and that's ramping up now. Our own Pete Bigelow, Hannah Lutz, and Molly Boygon talked about all of it on the latest episode of Shift, a podcast about mobility. Here's a piece of their conversation. Just to recap the news quick, uh, last week, the California Public Utilities Commission voted to approve an expansion of cruises deployment in San Francisco, and they voted to uh, allow Waymo to start driverless commercial uh, service in San Francisco. So it wasn't quite sure which way that vote was going to go. There's a lot of concern and opposition at the city level because robo taxis are creating some headaches in, in San Francisco. Uh, and that, that was kind of what Molly and I both looked at this week in, in stories that just went online on Thursday and in our, in today's automotive news, uh, you know, report. So, uh, this seems like, just the beginning of a of a conversation. In some ways, it felt like it ended because the vote was approved, and now these companies are starting. But I don't know, Molly. Like I felt like in, in some ways, like we're we're really just in the opening act of what this looks like. How how cities continue to contend with with this problem that's only going to problem and promise that that's only going to grow. I should say. Yes, and that's sort of the position, certainly that the robo taxi companies are taking. I tuned into the seven plus hour long meeting on Thursday, two Thursdays ago, shortly before the vote. Also, it was funny because, you know, 
I obviously I was listening to this thing for a long time. And the, the first commissioner that spoke before the vote said, well, maybe we should postpone the vote. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen here? But in any case, they did they did vote. And as you said, they expanded the operations of Waymo and Cruise in the city. But the robotaxi companies highlight that the more deployment there is, the better the product is going to be and the more that it's going to improve. So it remains to be seen if if, you know, if that promise is sort of kept. And then, you know, obviously there's a lot of concern from the public that the more deployment there is, the more issues uh, the vehicles are going to have with unexpected stops, blocking intersections. I spoke to um, a person on the board of supervisors last week who described a Waymo vehicle driving into freshly poured concrete and them having to try and figure out how to get the vehicle out and cleaned and things of that nature. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting space and certainly the story is not over yet. So Pete, how are you following up on this? You know, along similar lines, uh, I talked to Brian Reamer from MIT, who was a guest on this podcast earlier this year, and, and he had a really interesting point that I think dovetails nicely with what you just said, Molly, and it's that Cruz and Waymo talk about, and probably rightly so in some respects, uh, like vehicle safety and how their deployments, their vehicle experience will improve as they, as they get more experience, as more cars get on the road. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the experience of the greater transportation system is is necessarily benefiting just yet. And I think that's one of the rubs here is, yes, there's going to be growing pains. How do we manage these growing pains? And who who kind of deals with that on a day-to-day basis? And that that is the cities. And uh, you know, the state can give its stamp of approval and, and walk away, but it's city officials who are getting the phone calls when when robo-taxis wind up in the concrete, which was an amazing image this week. Yes. Yeah, yes. And it's interesting to look at the different points of view because you have these robo-taxi, these technology companies that are looking way far out into the future and have sort of a broad grand plan. And, and then you get the city and the state officials who like hear about the day-to-day challenges and and need to respond for for their residents. And you do just also have a feeling listening to the public comment period of that meeting, the issues that people have with the autonomous vehicles are so much bigger than the vehicles themselves. People in San Francisco are just so tired of feeling like basically guinea pigs for the tech industry. There's a lot of tension over, you know, um, income inequality and the rising cost of housing and things like this that play into this rollout that actually have nothing to do with the vehicles themselves, which is really interesting. And it's a challenge for the robotaxi companies and for the city to kind of address how, you know, how, how this technology fits into the larger context. But at the same time, you know, there are issues that are sort of beyond, you know, immediate solutions and beyond anyone's control. Yeah, I think, you know, I talked to city officials in both Los Angeles, which which sees all this coming from San Francisco and San Francisco as well. And, uh, you know, get a sense they're not against innovation, uh, but they're really weighing the, you know, the innovation of, with the like very practical problems that that come with it right now. And how do you how do you solve for those? And nobody has great solutions just yet. But Molly, I want to ask you, like, what exactly uh, goes on in a seven-hour CPU CPU? <laughs> I, I want to break down here of, of what all that was like. So the vast majority of that was public comment period, which is kind of amazing because it's just a testament to the, you know, sort of grand history of public comment and democratic 
debate that we have in this country. So the first part of that was people in person who came, which was a sort of smattering of different views. I would say it was it was largely 50-50, I would say. People strongly opposed to, to the expansion and people strongly in favor. There was also some tension over the fact that uh, there was a group of pro-expansion people wearing yellow t-shirts and there was sort of a rumor circulating that they were sent there by Waymo and Cruz. And, um, you know, so there was some animosity towards the, the people wearing yellow shirts in the room. And then it turned to the phone comment, which was, you know, interesting. I mean, I think that people feel a license to be a little bit more hostile over the phone than they are in person. There was a sort of awkward moment where someone was dropping some expletives and the phone operator had to cut them off and stuff. And then there was a little bit of reflection by the members of the commission. So it was a three, three, one vote. The commissioner who voted against spoke her piece about concerns about safety, about um, interference with first responders. The other commissioners spoke and the vote was cast. Molly, I'm curious, like when you heard the animosity in that room, did any of that come from human taxi drivers or human ride hailing drivers who have spent lots of money on medallions in some cases, or or more generally are afraid that they're going to be out of jobs? Yes, yes. There was a sizable showing from people who were both San Francisco taxi drivers and uh, Uber and Lyft drivers, which is kind of an interesting dichotomy because typically those two groups are opposed. But in this setting, they were both opposed to the new kid on the block, the autonomous vehicles. And, you know, part of the opposition that was voiced, uh, which which I also addressed in a piece that came out last week, is about the way that human taxi drivers and robo taxis are treated in the city. So for example, uh, more than 700 taxi drivers since 2010 have purchased medallions for $250,000. And uh, the way the way that that works is that the city is aiming to control the number of taxis in operation in the city and issues medallions to keep track of the number and to reduce congestion. But the robo-taxi fleets are uh, regulated by the state. So the city actually doesn't have control over the number of robo-taxis in the city. And then um, similarly, because of the way that the state law is written, people can be fined for moving violations, you know, to, to, get to receive traffic tickets, but um, autonomous vehicles cannot. The, the language of the law is actually a person who commits a violation, blah, 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 blah. So it's just an interesting sort of quirk that the taxi drivers feel they're coming from behind already. And then on top of it, they have to deal with these additional costs and fees from the city. I, this is a like sidebar, but I think it's crazy to think that in 2010 and beyond uh, that taxi drivers were willing to pay $250,000 from Medallion because if my memory serves right, I'm pretty sure Uber started in 2007 and by 2009 that the writing was was on the wall. So that that seems like a very risky purchase, if if nothing else in this discussion, that they were already on the precipice uh, even before you add the robo to the ride hailing. So actually, the CPUC didn't write rules about ride hailing in San Francisco until 2013. So there was that sort of interim period between 2010 and 2013 when the bulk of the medallions were purchased. I read yesterday that the last medallion purchased for that amount was in 2016. So it it was, you know, not, you know, it was still sort of toward the beginning or I guess middle of the 2010s, but 
Absolutely. I mean, it's a really interesting problem because on the one hand, you know, no one likes to see people destitute and desperate and in, in deep debt. And on the other hand, obviously innovation was happening. And as you said, in some ways, the writing was sort of on the wall. It's it's a really difficult issue. I want to find out who the last person to purchase a medallion mm. was and, and talk to <laughs> you know, there's probably not a polite way to ask, what were you thinking in 2016? But uh, mm. but that would be probably a, an interesting story and maybe a sad story. I don't know. Yeah. Molly, what's next? Do you see anything in terms of uh, reconsideration of, of any of the way these rules are are set or that the way that the state is regulating these slightly different things in very different ways? So I've gotten kind of vague answers on this. Someone at the uh, Board of Supervisors in San Francisco told me that the city's lawyers are looking at this issue. So basically trying to figure out if there's a way, you know, statutorily to sort of assume control over the expansion or over something like the issuing of traffic tickets or medallions, but nothing super concrete from what I can tell. It's sort of just um, in, in the beginning stages of looking at options from the city's perspective. Pete Bigelow, Molly Boygon, and Hannah Lutz cover tech and innovation in the auto industry for us at Automotive News. You can hear their full conversation on Shift, a podcast about mobility, wherever you get your podcasts. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer and Alicia Anderson. Today's episode included reporting from our own Lindsey Van Hulley, Audrey LaForest, and Nick Bunkley. You can get the latest news on investigations, job cuts, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.